Turn your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 8. John, chapter 8. John, chapter 8. We're going to begin reading in verse 24. We pick it up about uh, in the first part of the confrontation that Jesus is having with the Jews of Jerusalem. They did not believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ, and they were just finding fault with everything that they could. They made some really interesting statements that we'll not be covering today, but we're going to pick it up in the middle of the conversation in verse 24, where Jesus is speaking, and he says, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I want to preach this morning on disciples indeed. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I beg you again this morning for the filling of the Holy Ghost of God that your word would go forth in power and speak to hearts. Your word is true from the beginning, and every one of your righteous judgments endureth forever. And you said in the scripture, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So may we listen today with ears to hear. May we allow the spirit of God to deal with our hearts. For any without Christ, I pray that they would be convicted of their sin, of righteousness and of judgment and turn to the Lord Jesus today and be saved. I pray for believers today. Dear God, challenge us to be disciples indeed. And Lord, we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we look around the room, obviously the most important question for anybody would be is do you really belong to Jesus? Are you his? There are a lot of people that know about him. A lot of people sitting in churches today all around the world on this Sunday who don't know him. As a matter of fact, many people have a Jesus that they have made up in their own mind. But the Word of God is written to tell us all the, the important things that we need to know about Him in order for His mission to this world to be fulfilled in us. The Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He doesn't just want you to have eternal life. He wants you to know that you've got it. As a matter of fact, this gospel of John, 
written by the Apostle John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gives us the reason for his writing in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, when he says, truly there are many other signs which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you might have life through his name. John says, I've written these things so you can believe right about Jesus and believing right about Jesus, you can have a life in his name. Now, when we use that term, belief and believing, you have to understand that it has a couple of different connotations. For instance, there's one thing about being simply convinced that a fact is so. Now, the truth is, a lot of people are convinced that things that they've heard are so when they're not really so. They're believing wrong. And about a lot of those things, it really doesn't matter. However, the idea of belief is found in the scripture with regards to the Lord Jesus Christ has to do with trusting something for something. In this case, trusting Jesus for salvation. And I've given this example many times. I'm going to give it again today. Let me get up here and get myself a chair to hopefully make this clear to you. Now, if I was asked the question, how many believe that this chair is here? I believe any sensible person would raise their hand to say, I believe that that chair is there. I mean, if you don't, I invite you to come up right now and try to walk through it if you will, but it's going to leave you with a black and blue mark someplace when you hit it. It's there. If I was to ask the question, how many of you believe that if you sat in this chair, it would hold you up? And again, many people, probably most people, would put up their hand to say, I believe that that chair would hold me up. But then I ask this question. For all of you who believe that this chair is here, and you believe that this chair would hold you up, how many of you is this chair holding up right now? And nobody could raise their hand. Do you know why? You have not believed on the chair to hold you up. See, I believed this chair was here. I believe it would hold me up. But that doesn't have it hold me up. I have to believe on the chair for it to hold me up. And that's what it's like about coming to Jesus. A lot of people believe Jesus walked on the earth. They believe he came. They even believe he was born of a virgin. They believe the fact of his coming, but they have not trusted in him alone to save their soul. You have to put your faith for eternity, for salvation, for the cleansing of your sin. You have to put it all upon him and what he did when he went to the cross of Calvary and died for your sin. What a wonderful Savior that we have. Now, the Scripture says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. You see, people can tell me that they believe, but I can't see their heart. I don't know. If they're not 
believing on him for salvation, even though they tell me that they are, then they're not saved. They've got to believe on him. The Philippian jailer fell down before Paul and Silas and cried out, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But there are people that believe the fact of Jesus, but they've not put all their trust in him. They're simply trusting in the fact. As a matter of fact, I can tell you how you can tell whether or not you're really believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there anything that if you did it, you would have to say, I'm not going to heaven? Because if there is anything that you could do to where you would say you're not going to heaven, your trust is in not doing that. It's not in Jesus. My trust is only in Jesus Christ to save me. Now, Jesus had this confrontation here with these Pharisees. They did not believe in him. By the way, they believed in Christ. They believed that Christ would come. They had been looking throughout the Old Testament for the Christ to come. Here, they believed the Christ was coming. Their problem was they did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. They rejected him. And in rejecting Jesus, they were rejecting the very one that they had been looking for for all those years. As a result, Jesus says in verse 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. The point is this, you have to believe right about the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to believe right about who he is. Remember, he says that he wrote these things in John chapter 20 and verse 31, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. He's saying, I've written this so you'd believe right about Jesus. And when you believe right about Jesus, you would have life in his name. Now, the book of John is very interesting for a number of reasons. It has a number of things in it that the other gospels do not have. For instance, there is a very strong emphasis in the book of John on Jesus being the great I am. In this chapter alone, you look in verse 24, again, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. You go down to verse 28, and he says, then said Jesus unto them, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. You go over to verse 58. And in verse 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Now you might say, why is that significant? Because you see, way back in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, when at the burning bush, God calls Moses to deliver Israel. Moses, realizing that even the Jews would not accept him as the deliverer, said, well, who shall I say sent me? And the Bible says in verse 12 or 14, and God said unto Moses, I am 
that I am. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. Well, in the book of John, you have the emphasis on the I am. In John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And then he says in John chapter 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world. And then he says in John chapter 10 and verse 9, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. In John chapter 10 and verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. In John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, he declares, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. In John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In John chapter 15 and verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. The emphasis in this book on his deity, that he is the I am. In John chapter 14 in verse 8, Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. The next verse says, have I been so long time with you and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? In John chapter 1, the scripture says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now get this. And the Word was God. Verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. When was God made flesh? In the person of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a strong emphasis on the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, how important is that? Remember, he said in verse 24, he said, For ye shall die in your sins, for except ye believe that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. You've got to believe right about Jesus. Now, this made the Jews, the Pharisees, very angry. Matter of fact, if you go back to John chapter 5 a moment, In the first several verses of John chapter 5, Jesus heals the impotent man that was by the pool of Bethesda and and told him to take up his bed and carry it away. The Jews saw that man on the Sabbath day carrying that bed and they got after him. And he said, well, he that said unto me, rise and walk, he's the one told me to carry my bed. Well, you'll notice when you get down to verse, uh, let's see, in John chapter 5, I need to get to the right place. The scripture says this, uh, and verse 15, And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. Therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Now, first off, they're wanting to kill him because he healed the man on the Sabbath day. Verse 17, But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Now, notice the next verse. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father. Now, underline the rest of that verse. Making himself equal with God. You see, that would have been blasphemy to a Jew if it wasn't true. 
But you see, it is true. He is God. Wait, that's not the end of it. Go over to John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, look at verse 30. Jesus said, I and my father are one. Notice verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Well, what they didn't understand, that Jesus is the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, altogether. He is God. So back in John chapter 8, you shall die in your sins. For except ye believe that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. He's God. But that's not all. He is the prophesied one. He is Christ. Now, this is Christmas time, and I quote this verse often throughout the year. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. It's amazing how many people want to call him Wonderful Counselor, the Prince of Peace, but they shy at calling him the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, but that's who he is. That's that child that would come when God would clothe himself with flesh to come to this earth to die for our sins. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. When Philip is outwinning the Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord in Acts chapter 8, after he preached unto him Jesus, the Ethiopian eunuch said, What doth hinder me to be baptized? Well, Philip answered him. He said, He said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he proclaimed, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen. And they went down and he got baptized. See, he had to believe first. He had to have this matter settled, and he had it settled that this Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. On the road to Emmaus, after Jesus had been slain and put in the, and put in the grave, a couple of his disciples were discouraged. Jesus comes upon them. They don't even recognize him. And he asked them about it, and they said, Well, we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today's the third day since these things were done. In verse 25, Jesus responded, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now get this. Ought not Christ to have suffered? And then he began at Moses and all the prophets and he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. You see, it's all about believing right about Jesus the Christ. In John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. In verse 25, she said, I know Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And the next verse says, Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. You see, he is the Christ. And he tells the Jews here, you shall die in your sins. 
For except you believe that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Let me tell you, friend, you don't want to die in your sins. You die in your sins, you go to hell, you burn forever. Salvation is found in Jesus the Christ. You've got to recognize who he is. And you've heard me say many times, unfortunately, too many people, most people, have a Jesus that they have made up in their own mind. They are shocked when they find out that Jesus spoke more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. That Jesus spoke more graphically about hell than anybody else in the Bible. I thought God was a God of love. He is. And a God of love would warn people of the peril they were in. And that's what he did. He warned us about the perils of hell. So that you could take Christ as your Savior and receive the gift of eternal life. So Jesus explained who he is. And notice what they did with him. After he did that, go back to verse 30. And as he spake these words... Many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Well, first of all, they believed. Well, there are a lot of verses, especially in the book of John, that deal with this matter of believing on him. John 1, 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Now get this, even to them that believe on his name. In John chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. And he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You've got to believe on him. John 6, 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. When Peter was out preaching in Acts chapter 10 and verse 43 to the household of Cornelius, he says to him, Give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth on him shall receive remission of sins. You've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. So Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 declares, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. They believed on him. Now, why did they believe on him? They did not believe on him because they heard some seminary professor give some dissertation. That didn't do it. They did not believe on him because they read a magazine article somewhere that was an apologetic of the Christian faith. Why did they believe on him? Go back to the verse, verse 30. And he's, as he spake these words, they believed on him because they heard the word of God. You're going to have to go to heaven God's way, not your way, if you're going to go to heaven at all. 
And it's going to have to be in response to his word. You know, a lot of things, that, that a lot of times what keeps people from going soul winning is they're afraid that they won't be able to get the illustrations right. Well, the illustrations don't save anybody. The word of God does. Peter said, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You give them the word of God and it is the word of God that's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. It is the word of God that deals with their heart. So that's why they believe. Hey, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Jesus had spoken to them and for those that believed what he said, They got eternal life. That's the key. If you want to be saved, you must turn to the Christ of the Bible. Now you say, what about living it? What about living it? What happens? Well, see, that depends on what happens at salvation. When a person gets born again, when they take Christ as their Savior, they get new life. The Bible says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. For a person who's believed, they get everlasting life. The Bible teaches that he makes them new creatures. I mentioned this a lot, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, when you get saved, you're not made perfect yet. Perfection is coming, but I'll tell you what, he changes you. And one of the main reasons for that change is the fact that when a person gets saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within them. Since your Bible's open to John, I could quote these verses too, but I want you to turn back to them in chapter 7. Notice beginning in verse 37 of John chapter 7. The scripture says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that, I notice the terminology again, he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. He says, those that believe on me, He says, I'll have rivers of living water, and he's talking about the Spirit of God. Romans 8, 9 declares, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. The Bible teaches in chapter 12 of the book of 1 Corinthians that he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within. Now, he comes to live within When you take Christ as your Savior, you don't have to invite the Holy Spirit to come and live within. You take Christ, the Holy Spirit comes on in. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Not only that, you become a member of a new family. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Say, preacher, you're giving a lot of scripture today. I know, isn't it wonderful? I had a friend of mine that was pastoring down in uh, St. Mary's, Georgia. And he sent me a note one day. He said, 
he said, Preacher, you would not believe this. I had one lady after the message last Sunday was so angry. She said, she said that she had counted. She, he, she said to him, do you realize that you actually quoted 25 verses from the Bible in that message today? I said, you should have said to her, hey, that's a good thing, isn't it? Because it is about the, the word of God. This is where this is truth. It's all true. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 8. Notice beginning at verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again into fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus, with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Matter of fact, while you're there, just go on over to uh, Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, right after, uh, let's see, right after 2 Corinthians. Galatians chapter 4. Notice beginning in verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You see, when I got saved, not only did the Holy Spirit of God give me life because of Jesus Christ when I received him, he not only made me a new creature, but he put me into a brand new family. I now belong to him. And we'll not take the time this morning to go into Hebrews chapter 12, where the Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son whom he receiveth. Now when we do wrong, it is no longer a holy God to a sinner. It is a loving heavenly father to a son. And he chastens us and scourges us as we need it. As children of God. As a matter of fact, according to that passage, it is one of the proofs of belonging to him. It's one of the proofs of sonship that as a saved person, you will be chastened of the Lord. You can count on it. Now, notice verse 31. All right. These Jews believed on him. Now, notice the statement that is made in the next verse. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Now, every word in the Bible is there for a purpose. He did not say, if you continue in my word, then are ye my sons indeed. He did not say, if you continue in my word, then are you saved indeed. He said, if you continue in my word then are you my disciples indeed. There's a difference between salvation and discipleship. You need to understand that salvation that comes with you believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and eternal life and life and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, that's free. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
He doesn't use the word son here. He doesn't use the word saint here. He says, then are you my disciples indeed? Now, what does it take to be a disciple? If words mean anything, and I believe every word in this book is there for a purpose. Do you want to be more than just a Christian? Do you want to be more than just, uh, really I'm probably misusing the word Christian there uh, because the idea of Christian used to be one, a person who is a disciple. But there are a lot of people who are believers. They've taken Christ as Savior. They have eternal life, but they're not disciples. Whereas it was free to get saved, discipleship cost. And it can cost everything. Jesus says an awful lot about discipleship. Go back to Luke chapter 14. And we learn some things about a disciple. Now, we've already learned salvation, eternal life, everlasting life is found in believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what kind of a Christian do you want to be if you are saved? You just want to be a Christian, go through life and go on to heaven? Or do you want to be something special for Christ? Notice what Jesus is saying in verse 25 of chapter 14 of the book of Luke, and there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now see, that's different than just believing on him. In other words... If you can't put Jesus before all your earthly relations, then you can't be a disciple. You can still go to heaven, still belong to him. You're a child of God. You say, well, that's kind of sorry, isn't it? Well, yeah, I think it's just, as Paul puts it, your reasonable service to want to be sold out to Christ. To want to live for him completely, that ought to be the desire of our hearts. But you understand that in the scripture, you've got baby Christians, you've got carnal Christians, and you've got spiritual Christians. Baby Christians are defined for us in the scriptures. Newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. When I got saved, I trusted Christ as Savior. I didn't know hardly any Bible. Man, I needed to grow. And I grew by getting in the scripture and reading the word of God dedicating myself. Matter of fact, in the first couple months after getting saved, I read through the New Testament five times. I was so ignorant of the Bible. I wanted to learn more about my Savior. And uh, that was wonderful. But then there are carnal Christians. He describes those for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, for you are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and division, are you not carnal and walk as men? Now, carnal Christians are Christians that have been saved long enough to be spiritual, but they're not. They're carnal. Life is about themselves, and don't get in my way. Uh, matter of fact, they were arguing over things at Corinth, who is the best preacher. Had to be divided concerning men who believe the same thing. How silly can you get? to be complaining about one another when you believe the same thing. How carnal is that? And yet that's what they do. But then they're spiritual Christians. The Bible says, He that is spiritual judgeth all things. Now, think with me for a moment. 
You're a child of God. Have you been saved long enough to be beyond being a baby? Now, if you just got saved in the last couple of weeks, you're a babe in Christ. You've got a lot to learn. Carnal Christian is one who's already heard a lot, should know better, but it's amazing. You want to find out the things that carnal Christians can get into, just read through 1 Corinthians. Because there he describes a church full of not disciples, but carnal Christians. So for the person who wants to go beyond just being saved and not be carnal, but be spiritual, you want to be a disciple of Christ, that means you're going to have to set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. You're going to have to decide your walk with God is the most important part of your life. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In verse uh, 24, he said, No man can serve two masters. He says, You cannot serve God and mammon if you want to be a disciple. Now, I don't have any doubt there are a lot of people who are born again. They don't want to go that far with Jesus. They're glad they're going to heaven. And they don't want to get dedicated to him. They don't want to get faithful to him. They're just satisfied they're going to heaven. Don't want to be too spiritual. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of like I, I, was, a, I was a baseball player. I love baseball. That's, that was always my favorite sport. And... Uh, I know it's boring to a lot of people. Baseball's not boring to me. I love all the intricacies and the strategies of playing baseball. Uh, so I played in high school. I played in college. And, uh, you know, I came to the place where I realized I'm never going to be a pro. You know why? I didn't dedicate myself to it. I had too many other irons in the fire that I wanted to. I wanted to follow too many as much as I would like to have been a pro I knew I could never be a pro because man you got to be really good and you got to practice and practice and practice and practice and practice you got to do an awful lot of things and the reality is there's a lot of Christians they've taken Jesus as savior they're going to heaven But Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. In other words, you don't get on to be a disciple without making some really big decisions. This is just one about making Jesus first place in your life. Notice he goes on to say, let me get back here to Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, he then says in verse 33. Let's see, I think I skipped one here. Uh, Yeah, verse 27. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You got to be willing to bear cross. Come after him. That means doing without some things, a lot of things. As a matter of fact, he gets down to 33 and he says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Well, Lord, if I want to be a disciple of yours, what do I need to do? If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Now, what happens then? And ye shall know the truth, 
and the truth shall make you free. Now think about that for a second. You mean people who decide to be a disciple actually learn some things that other Christians don't learn? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mentioned baseball a little bit ago. You take somebody that's just played a little bit, you know, backyard ball and never really gotten much involved in it. There's a lot they don't understand about the game. Like, for instance, I, I, I was an outfielder uh, for, a lot of, for a good number of the years of my playing baseball. And in playing, normally I was out in left field uh, where I would play. Do you realize on every play, you've got some place to be? They hit the ball to right field. You just don't stand there and watch the play and be a spectator. You've got places to be. There's a chance if that ball is, if it's hit to center field, I've got to back up the center fielder. If it's at the right field, I realize he might drop the ball and I'm going to have to come around and back up third base. I've got some place to be. On every play, I've got some place to be. When there's runners on base and I realize the catcher may be throwing down to a, a base. If it's third base, he's going to be throwing that way. I realize after every pitch, I may have to move over if there's a runner on third base to back up the, uh, to back up the third baseman. I've got some place to be. Most people never even think about that stuff. And you realize that a Christian who decides to be a disciple is going to th- see things to do, responsibilities that ought to be met, that those Christians that never make that decision will never understand. They won't get it. And you can preach on it all you want to preach on it. They don't see it because their level is one. I know Jesus. I'm going to heaven. Praise God. And they can't understand Paul when he says, it's your reasonable service. Because they've not made the decisions they need to make to be disciples. But you get something special when you decide to be a disciple. He says, and you're my disciples. If you continue in my word, and he says, and you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. The reality is... Most of us are as far along in our Christian walk as what we've decided to be. Which has more spiritual? All right, make some choices. Make some choices. Without those choices, not going to happen. Simple as that. Just like he doesn't make you get saved, he doesn't make you get spiritual. Wants you to be spiritual. Wants you to walk with him. Wants you to be close with him. He wants that, but... He leaves that up to you. What a great Savior. In this story, he starts out, he's dealing with people who are lost. Their big hang-up has been they don't believe Jesus is the Christ. But after speaking to them, a number of them believed. Well, now they've got eternal life. So he presents them with the next step challenge. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. You know, there were 500 believers that saw Jesus after his resurrection, but I don't see any time where Jesus had 500 disciples at that time. He had a bunch of believers. So how far do you want to go along with Christ? That challenge is up to you, and it's amazing the things that you will get out of the word of God by making those decisions for him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus.
Dear God, make this plain to hearts today. I sure can't do it. I pray, Lord God, that first of all, for those that are lost, that they decide today to believe on Jesus Christ for salvation. Put their trust in him. Lord, may they come today, I pray, and get this matter settled. I pray, Heavenly Father, for those who are believers, either just got saved or have been saved for a while, but just haven't gotten some things settled about getting sold out to you. I pray today there'd be that hunger, that desire, that thirst to draw close to you. Oh, dear God, please, may they make those disciple decisions today. And Father, I also pray today, I pray to those for, for those, Lord, who are disciples, that they'll continue their walk with you to serve you, to live for you, to glorify your name. Have your way in every heart and life today, I plead in Jesus' name.